Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wisdom of Friends podcast. Thank Thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. This is a podcast where you get to learn more about your friends and community, their wisdom, their trials and tribulations, timeless insights and their secrets. Now, let's get into the show. Please welcome your host, Cal Aras. Hello folks, uh, this is your host Cal Ross and welcome to another episode of Wisdom of Friends. And I'm really excited to be introducing you to a friend of mine, his name is Joel Marcus. Now Joel has a bachelor's and a master's and also an MBA. When I asked him what his philosophy is on life, he says that what makes us human is our ability to understand others' feelings and recognize that we all want to feel happy and secure. He believes that no matter where we fit in on the scale of wealth, fame, or material success, that we all have chances to be kind and uplift others. Joel has a wonderful daughter who he has taught to value being nice, truly kind, and smart and funny. His business is the Advisor Voice Consulting, which is about helping people be powerful and effective using their own natural voice when communicating their message. Joel works with uh, many entrepreneurs and small businesses to help them simplify their message. This is a fascinating conversation and uh, Joel shares about his background and his insights on branding, marketing and advertising and how to simplify your message when you're communicating in the business arena or in the personal arena. So uh, this is a fascinating conversation. I hope you enjoy it. So please pull up a chair and listen in. And without further ado, let's welcome the one and only Joel Marcus. Good evening, uh, Joel, and uh, welcome to another episode of uh, Wisdom of Friends uh, podcast. I'm really excited that you took the time to be on this program. And uh, let me start off by saying what my first impressions of you were. And this was almost a year and a half ago. We met at this uh, Kirkland Eclectics Club and uh, I had an opportunity to hear you speak. And one of the things that uh, stood out for me was uh, the way you presented your points uh, with a story. And that story was so animated that we really connected with you as a individual and as a speaker, and it reminded me of a phrase that my mentor used to use all the time. He says, like, facts tell, but stories sell. And I knew back then that, uh, you know, I definitely would like to have you on the show and uh, pick your brains about uh, storytelling and uh, also about your expertise in marketing and helping out small businesses. So, and we'll get to that as we go along with the podcast, but I really uh, want to thank you for taking the time to be on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm really glad to be here. Uh, excellent. And uh, one of the ways, uh, Joel, we start off our podcast is by asking our guest a very simple question, and that is, what is your favorite quote or philosophy that you live by, and how have you applied it to your life? That's a good question. And I have a lot of philosophies that I like to live by. But I would say that remembering why we're human and treating each other with humanity gets me through the day. I like that. It's about the humanity. And uh, so tell us about why this particular philosophy became important to you. Was there a moment in your life that humanity and kindness, and I was looking at your bio earlier, and uh, one of the things that uh, really, uh, that you really are focused on kindness and humanity and uplifting the spirit. So tell us about that. Well, I realized that people are intelligent. And that people have choices. And we don't think about it, but we make choices all day long. Should I let that other person go in front of me in line? Should I help someone reach a can on a high shelf in the market? Or how do I respond to my coworkers when I'm busy and they interrupt me? I feel that we are given opportunities to choose our highest self all day long. That is so great. And then as I'm reading your bio, this line particularly uh, sticks out. And that is that uh, you believe that no matter where we fit 
on the scale of wealth, fame, or material success, we all have chances to be kind and uplift others. That's so beautiful. So, uh, Joel, what I'm curious about is a little bit about your childhood as to uh, where, uh, what did your parents do and uh, how did that shape your life? Well, I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My mom spent many years as an English teacher and later became a song lyricist, which was the fulfillment of her passion and her way to give back to the world. My dad had an opposite path. He spent many years working as a stevedore and running a small business, and the later years being a professor at the college and giving back in that way. That is so great. And so, Joel, uh, so it seems like you are a marketing major, you got an MBA in business, and now you uh, work in the communications uh, industry as a trainer, as a teacher, and also you help uh, small businesses with their marketing message. And so what, what I'm curious about is, did you always know that this was a path that you wanted to take, or how did that journey begin for you? Because oftentimes we get questions from our audience that, you know, how do we find our passion? How do we find our vocation? And so what was the journey for you? Did that, uh, did you know that this is it that you wanted to do or how did that story unfold for you? I absolutely did not know. What I learned about myself over time and how I found my strength and my passion was by observing what I liked to do and what I was good at. And what I liked to do was help people. And what I was good at was listening and encouraging. And that led me to where I want to make my life's work, helping other people to do what they do best. Great. Excellent. Uh, so I know that you're currently uh, in the area of uh, client services and communications and uh so uh, what is it about communications and client services that uh, you find fascinating? I like to help people express their ideas to a wide audience. And when you meet someone who's very smart or has a terrific idea, but especially a complex idea, they sometimes face a challenge with how they can explain why they've discovered something great or why their service or product is useful. That's where I come in. Okay, great, excellent. And uh, we'll get into that a little bit here. So, you know, oftentimes, that having interviewed uh, many individuals over the last uh, year or so, one of the trends that I've noticed is that most of these successful people have experienced challenges and uh, setbacks in life. And one of the ways that they distinguish themselves from... Uh, from the ones that who have also ran the race, if you will, or continued on this journey, is that they don't view f setbacks and failures as permanent. They use that as a stepping stone uh, to move on to something even better or even tougher or even a greater challenge. So what have been one or two challenges in your life um, and that, that were some of the defining moments for you and then you've learned something out of it as a message or lessons learned that helped you navigate as you went through life? I've been pretty lucky so far. But when I lose a job or lose my wallet or lose my way, so to speak, I take a step back and I think this isn't the end of the story. This is not where I stop going forward and living my life. And I use that to gain perspective, to think, how will I solve this problem? And how will it look next year or two years from now? Our problems are always big when they're up close, and they look smaller the further away they get. I agree. And I think uh, oftentimes, you know, it's a matter of like taking a step back and uh, looking at the big picture and saying, you know, what kind of a timeline are we assigning to this particular challenge that we are facing? And, you know, changing the angle of vision or changing the perspective can oftentimes lead to a different context that could empower us to continue forward. Uh, the other thing I want to get to is, 
I've noticed something, Joel, about our meetings that we go to as communication meetings and uh, that you bring a wonderful, cute little dog to the meetings. So tell us about the dog and how did you end up acquiring the dog and tell us about uh, what's, his, what's his name and what kind of a dog it is. My, my sweet dog, his name is Legumes. And Legumes is a 20-pound terrier mix. And I adopted him. He was a rescue dog. And I have to say he is the world's best companion. My dog, Legumes, he wants to be with me everywhere I go. And part of the what makes having a 20-pound dog good is that I can pick him up and take him many places. That is so great. So, uh, uh, and I want to kind of like take a step back down the memory lane. I know you said uh, you were born in Pittsburgh, so you're from the Midwest. Uh, what was growing up like uh, in Pittsburgh? Uh, and uh, what did you have any mentors that you wanted to emulate growing up? Or whom, who fascinated you? And uh, what, what are some of the stories you could share with the audience about uh, having mentors in life? Well, because I grew up in Pittsburgh and because I had the opportunity to get my graduate degrees there, I certainly met a lot of great professors. And each of them had a special talent and a gift to give. And while my mentors have changed as I, as I moved through my life, I've found that each teacher and each professor or guru we meet has a special message that we put in our pocket and carry with us. Yeah. And were there any particular individuals that uh, you looked up to? or? Well, I recall one one college professor I had, and he was a very great literature professor, and he was from Peru. Mm. And he was running a graduate seminar, a room full of super academic, super smart literature people. And this professor had a terrific way of saying he didn't know the answer. And while that sounds counterintuitive, when you meet someone smart, who tells you they don't know the answer, it gives them more authority and credit when they do. So if he said in a lecture, I don't know the answer, one or two times in a conversation, and you got to the third time and he said, this is the answer, then it gave him all the power in the world because we believed him completely. So what I'm hearing you say is uh, credibility is such an important aspect of communication and relating to people. And oftentimes, uh, you know, it takes courage to be able to uh, admit the fact that sometimes you may not have all the information that you that's asked of you. And by admitting that gives you an instant credibility and then helping research and trying to find out the correct answer to that question can help you build that uh, uh, relatedness with the individual or your audience. And that's such a beautiful point. And I think as a communicator and as a leader, I think uh, I'm sure, uh, was there any particular incident in your life that you adopted that skill where, you know, you had to admit to the audience that you didn't know the answer and you had to go back and uh, research some more and come back and find out and share? Well, I... I certainly got on the path of saying that I didn't know the answer after having that professor. But what I realize is it is the courage plus humanity for us to admit we don't know the answer and to admit when we need help. And actually, it's more effective to say I don't know the answer and I need help than it is to stumble or fake it or potentially make a mistake that you regret. It's far better to ask for help up front than cut something with the saw and regret it later. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So uh, one other question that I have about your background, uh, Joel, is uh, that you know you did your MBA and you focused on marketing. Is that correct? Um, my work was on human resources and marketing. Human resources and marketing. So what is it about marketing and human resources uh, that uh, fascinated you? I know because you have this uh, business 
on the side. It's called Advisor Voice, and that provides professional services and copywriting and customized social media uh, services for entrepreneurs and independent business owners. So how did that come about for you? Is that something that you always wanted to do, or was that your uh, specialty, or what was it about this particular profession or this major uh, that spoke to you? It gets back to one of my one of my world themes that I like to repeat, and that is, there are so many smart people. If only I could make them all look smart. And what I mean is, sometimes people get so caught up in demonstrating that they have knowledge and experience and great ideas that they stumble on explaining it. In other words. They try so hard to show that they're smart that it becomes more confusing. Complex processes can be explained simply. And I'd like to tell them, what you do is hard to do. It doesn't have to be hard to explain. The advisor voice and the services I provide are a way of helping people who know what they do explain it to others. No, that is so great, and that I think that's so fascinating because, you know, it's. I think there was a quote by Einstein that you know he talked about the different levels of uh, complexity goes all the way from brilliant genius to all the way to simplicity, and simplicity is like the highest form of brilliance, if you will. And uh, so, is there a process you normally follow when you are working with a client as to understand their message or understand the product that they are offering? As to how do you simplify? a complex idea, and break it down. I'm very glad you asked that. And when I work with people, they figure out my pattern right away. The point is how to get people to explain what they do in their most natural voice. So I ask my client, tell me about your process. And they give me a few very polished, complex sentences. And I say, what does that mean? And they explain it again with a few more sentences. And I say, and what does that mean? And they get a little simpler. And then they get on to my pattern. And I say, and what does that mean? Then they understand me and they laugh. And I say, now tell me what you do as if you were talking to my grandmother at the Thanksgiving table. Nice and slow and the shortest words you can find. That is so great. Is there an example you could give us that you might have worked with a client that uh, enabled uh, to simplify the process? And I like what you just shared about, uh, you know, enabling, uh, taking a complex idea and being able to explain it in a simpler word to your grandmother. I think uh, that's really, that's an indicator or a litmus test that you really understood what you're doing or what your what your message is. So, uh, no, that's really uh, fantastic. So tell us more about that. So my, my example is I have a client. They're very smart, and they offer a financial service that involves a computer optimization. It runs a million Monte Carlo simulations and predicts how markets or how stocks will perform in certain situations. And I have to ask them, what is computer optimization? And what does that mean? As if I didn't know. And then I explain to them, you know what you are doing. But if you can't say it in words that I understand, then I don't know that you know. So if you pretend that I am my grandmother and you use the simplest words you can, then I will know you really know what you're doing. No, well, that is great. And I think, uh, you know, in this age of uh, information overload, oftentimes with an attention span that is like less than 30 seconds, it is, it is very critical now for businesses and brands, if you will, to be able to resonate or connect with their audiences. And I think uh, the more simpler it is, like, for example, when you think about Disney, the moment you think about Disney, the brand signifies family or 
you know, Coca-Cola leads to, you know, you're thirsty, so it leads to, so every brand's got that little underlying message. And I think uh, what I'm also hearing is part of this message in simplifying the communication can in fact be the first step towards enabling your brand to be able to connect with the audience. Do you agree with that? I do agree with that. And I think that consumer products and Coca-Cola and products that we recognize and love have slogans that we can relate to. They are simple slogans. Enjoy Coke, not this sweet bubbly drink will quench your thirst and make you feel good and satisfied. It's just enjoy. It gets to the essence of what people want. When people are explaining how their service helps or why their product is beneficial, they have an opportunity to express it simply. And some business and salespeople practice their elevator speech. That's the where you have from floor one to 23 to tell someone what you do. And I encourage them not to be cute about it, but can you tell me how my service, how your service helps me? Just one sentence. What do I get from your service? What do I get if I buy your product? What makes your product or your school or your restaurant or your service special? Tell me the one thing my grandmother needs to know that you bring to the table if she hires you. It's not a slogan. It's an authentic explanation. But it gets people down to, I have two sentences to tell you what my work is. No, that is so uh, great. And I, and that brings up another question. And as a marketing and communications expert, uh, my question to you is, you know, most of our audience, uh, listeners in our audience are small business owners and entrepreneurs. And, you know, some of them have just launched their business and they're struggling with defining their brand, struggling with identifying a name for the business. And uh, so what I'm curious about is having worked in this industry of marketing and communications and with many business owners over a period of time, what, when, you, when you think of the word branding, now, what what does that mean to you as an expert in this industry? And how could anybody like start strengthening their brand or start defining that brand so that it resonates with the customer base? I know it's a mouthful of questions there, but you could take one at a time. <laughs> sure. No, and, and it makes me think right away um, visually that we often associate a company's logo as being their brand, because that's what we recognize and remember. But brand is really the quality that you bring. Brand means identifying with belonging or quality or service or reliability. Your logo is the picture we see, but your brand connotes the value you bring. Yeah. And uh, do you also agree that uh, a good brand also has uh, certain values that the organization believes in that's part of uh, branding as well? Because oftentimes, you know, when you look at uh, the 80s and the 90s, customers would have, uh, you know, stayed loyal to a brand for many, many years. But in today's uh, day and age, being loyal to a brand is really a tough sell because one single mistake an organization does, you know, it's difficult for the company to retain its customer base unless they take responsibility for it or own it. So what has been your experience in terms of, uh, you know, having a loyal customer base for an organization uh, and to strengthen a brand over a period of time? Right. No one is perfect and no company is without ever making some mistake or having an employee who acts out or makes a mistake. Brand loyalty is reduced in a world of unlimited choice. Brand loyalty is not just between two car makers or two kinds of butter that you like. Brand loyalty 
means that you believe in the quality of the product or service and you stand with them through your consumption. Originally, a brand was a mark on your cow or horse, so no one could take it away. It showed that it belonged to you. And brand loyalty is the respect that the brand owner has pride in their mark and pride in their company. So I feel that companies and services and other agencies that have brands have an opportunity to build customer loyalty by being true to their own brand. I like that. And I, you know, it's, uh, it's really rare that somebody reminded us of the fact that, you know, the origins of uh, what branding was all about. It was the brand on your product or a service initially. And then what, uh, what you stood for was about the respect the brand owner had was about brand loyalty. Now that's so great. And there is a great book, uh, out there for the benefit of our audience. Uh, it's a book, uh, book by Simon Sinek called Start With Why. And he talks about the concept of the golden circle. It's, you know, it's not the what, it's not the how, but it's the why is what people resonate with. Do you agree with that concept or, uh, uh something that, uh, that you would advocate to your customers as well? I think that that's a brilliant way of looking at consumer choice because it's not how we buy a product, but it is why we buy it. Why do I prefer one location over another? Why do I prefer one style of computer over another? When people who offer services, can answer the question, why choose me, then they're in touch with the highest part of what they offer. Yeah, no, that's so great. So shifting gears here, uh, Joe, I'm going to talk to you about, I know that uh, uh, you've, uh, now you live in Seattle uh, for many years now, and uh, you lived in the Midwest and uh, before that. So what have been some of your favorite places to travel and uh, what do you value so much about this particular place? What I really love about living in the Seattle area is not having snow boots. (laughs) I know what you mean. (laughs) When I grew up in Pittsburgh, as much as I loved all the seasons, it was very cold in the winter and very hot in the summer. and, And I found that the Northwest is in its cool and and cloudy, temperate nature is the right place for me. What I've never stopped admiring is the natural beauty of the Northwest. You're going about your regular day and suddenly you see Mount Rainier or Mount Baker, or you're passing by the waterfront and you see ferries currying people to nearby islands. The first time I visited and went to Alki Beach in West Seattle. Mm-hmm. I was sitting at the in the sand of the small beach at the water's edge, and in one picture I saw babies playing, people kayaking, pleasure boats, fishermen, a giant container ship, islands, and the Olympic Peninsula with snow-capped mountains. Wow. And I thought... This is a cheap painting become real. <laughs> and and I've never stopped loving the vistas that that are around every corner. Oh yeah, Seattle is indeed a beautiful city and that's why uh you know they call it the Emerald City uh because it's so precious and uh so uh, the other question uh, that I have for you Joel is uh having witnessed uh uh, working with different companies and the ebb and flow of uh, industries come and go and uh, and and just uh, working with different individuals i'm sure customers and clients and with your own life uh, what would you say is your definition of success and how would you define greatness i'll take it in reverse i define greatness as a person who is able to choose the the best, the kindest, the widest, 
choice that they can make in everyday situations. I feel that great people feel that they are part of society and not outside of it. And uh, what would you say about success? I think that success is a feeling that we have inside. And it's not measured by your income, and it's not measured by how many times you're listed in the newspaper. But success is measured by people's ability to find their passion and to pursue their passion. I have a teenage daughter, and I told her that she needs to find and pursue what she truly loves, and that success will follow. Rather than the goal being a measure by some other standard, to pursue our passion and to love what we do is to be on the path to success. Yeah, and I, and I like uh, what you say, say in your bio is that our philosophy is, I mean, your philosophy is what makes us human, is our ability to understand others' feelings and uh, to recognize that we all want to feel happy and secure and I think uh, I think that relates to what you just said about uh, being uh, successful. It's like you know pursuing the path that uh, you love to do and successful follow. Uh, that is so great. Now let me ask you this: uh, How do you choose your projects? Are there any uh, specific uh, uh, mental steps that you go through before choosing projects, or or picking taking certain clients on, or what uh, what kind of metrics do you normally? Uh, uh, kind of used to uh, choose your pick of the projects? Well, of course, I love working with people who have a terrific idea or who are excited about the message that they want me to help them to develop. And I believe that everyone who has a message has an opportunity to explain it well and to make their impact as big as it will be. What excites me is an excited client. When I feel their passion, when I feel that they're excited about their work, then I know I can help them. No, that is so great. And I think, uh, you know, uh, it's it's very important because uh, as, you know, they say that one of the components of wealth is time. And whom we choose to spend our time becomes uh, really important, uh, you know, and that directly relates to the kind of projects that we work on because it's the kind of people that we work with. And it has a direct impact on our uh, state of mind and our happiness as well. So I, I'm glad that you mentioned about working with people and the projects that excites you and that, you know, that you can feel that you can contribute to them and make a difference. So we're going to switch gears here, and uh, this is uh, the next segment of our podcast, and these are some of the conversations or the questions that we have received from the audience for our guests. So the first question for you, uh, Joel, is uh, what stops people, in your opinion, from achieving their fullest potential? I think that people have become afraid to be bold. I think that even the longest journey begins with one step. And for people to be bold, they only need to start with the first step. No, I agree. It's about a journey of a uh, thousand miles begins with a single step. I think uh, it's absolutely uh, right on. Uh, the next question uh, for you is, uh, and this is more of a generic question, and that is from our audience. It's like, what is the biggest lesson or insight uh, about life that you learn that you would like to uh, share with our audience? I think that I would like to share the feeling of hope that we are not alone. And what I mean is, each of my life situations, someone else has also experienced. And I look at them as my inspiration. So as I learned to ride my bicycle from Seattle to Portland this year on the STP ride, I looked at other people who had also just begun riding a year before me. 
That is so great. So te- uh, I'm I'm really curious about the Seattle to Portland ride. So tell us, tell us about that journey. How did you prepare for it, and how long of a trip was it? And uh, I have many friends who have actually done it, and they've been encouraging me to try it out. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I need to like uh, put it on my calendar, but I haven't yet done it. But tell us, tell us, walk us through the journey for some of the people who are curious about this race. So there are many people who have that I've met who've gone STP, or Seattle to Portland, the 206-mile bike ride, Mm. many times, or every year since a certain year. And I said to them, this is a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And they said, oh, no, I go every year. And I said, no, for me, it is a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience. I began riding my bicycle last year, a a road bike, and I found a suitable used bike to get started on and I went 20 miles and I came home and I told my daughter I went 20 miles (laughs) and then a few maybe two months ago before the STP I texted her 80 miles down only 20 miles to go (laughs) and when I got home she said dad you went from 20 whole miles to 20 miles left it was a big change To answer your question specifically, I trained for the STP through the Cascade Bike Club Mm. Cascade Training Series, a 13-week guided training series. Wow. This is a great program. There's other people learning to ride and training, camaraderie, safety, a few flat tires along the way. And it prepared me for the STP ride better than I could have done on my own. Wow. Uh, What was your timing in uh, getting from uh, Seattle to Portland? Uh, According to my Garmin, which is my bicycle computer, I was pedaling for a little over 18 hours. Wow. We did 104 miles the first day and maybe 103 or 4 the second day. We rode to the start of the race, so I... I sneaked in a couple of extra miles the first morning. Oh, wow. So what was the best part about doing the Seattle to Portland race? What were some of the uh, lovely memories that have stayed with you from this uh, experience? I actually had fun the whole time because it wasn't a race, because it was a ride, and I felt like I could do it. Mm. When I... Went 50 miles, I knew I could go 60 miles. And when I'd gone 70 miles the first day, I knew I could finish that day's portion. The fun of training is knowing that you can finish. Mm. Yeah, and were there any challenges along the way that uh, you ran into that kind of like you had to uh, struggle with or deal with? And how did you manage that? My, My biggest challenge was... Fear of a flat tire. Mm. But I didn't have any mechanicals or any flats. That's so great. I had had a harrowing flat tire experience a few weeks before, and maybe I got it over with then. Wow. What's very exciting is seeing thousands of people. And I believe it was close to 13,000 riders this year. Oh, no kidding. So to see thousands of people, all ages, all sizes, Families with children on tandem bikes, all shapes of bicycles, everyone riding the same path, everyone riding together. No, that is so great. Uh, And this was your first time, is that correct? This was absolutely my first time. During the training series, the ride leaders would ask, who has never gone 50 miles before? A few weeks later, who has never gone 80 miles before? And it was always me raising my hand. Every week was my longest ride. (laughs) <laughs> and this is uh, the Seattle to Portland uh, Ride STP, as it's called. Uh, it goes on from Saturday, July 15th to Sunday, July 16th, and it's a 200-plus mile bicycle ride. It's the largest multi-day bicycle event in the Northwest, and with up to, as you said, 13,000 participants riding from Seattle to Portland in one or two days. And it takes you through all the scenic valleys and forests and farmlands of western Washington and Oregon. That must have been a treat while riding that, uh, those routes. It's so exciting, and, and you really do 
get to see a lot when you're going 14 miles an hour and not 64 miles an hour in your car. And by not being on the I-5 the whole way to Portland, we passed Centralia and beautiful farmland and saw vistas and had time to enjoy them that you just don't get in the car. Mm. Oh, that's great. Uh, you got me excited about uh, giving it some serious thought. So Cascade uh, Bike Riding is a training uh, that you recommend? Yeah, Cascade Training Series. It was terrific. All of the ride leaders are volunteers, Mm. but they plan the route, they plan the lunch break, they plan the water breaks. All you need is a helmet, a bike, lights, and a good attitude. Oh, wonderful. And and we'll include that in our show notes uh, for our audience. Uh, One other question, uh, Joel, we have for you in this section is actually two. The first question is, what is the best book you've read or a book that you've reread or gifted it to others so that uh, sticks to your, uh, that you would recommend for our audiences in the area of marketing, business, or just life in general? There, there are so many inspirational books. And, and really, there are so many inspirational business and self-help books, and each of them has a gem. One book that I recently read uh, was called The One Thing, and it's by uh, Gary Keller of Keller Williams Real Estate. And the lesson is, to reach your highest goals, you have to decide, what is my ideal? And how will I get there? And what can I do this week? And what can I do today? And what is the one thing I can do right now that will help me with my goals? And at the same time that it's soft advice for how to manage your day and your business, it also gives you a great perspective that to reach your far goal, you need to focus on the one thing you can do right now. No, that is uh, such a beautiful reminder. And uh, I was at this uh, National Speakers Association uh, of the Northwest. I'm part of that community as well. And I was at this uh, summer party uh, last uh, Saturday, and the one of the conversations that revolved around, you know, when you're starting out as a professional speaker, uh, how do you tailor your message? Because oftentimes we struggle with, uh, you know, many topics that we can talk about, you know, designing your keynote or designing your workshop and so on and so forth. And one of the rookie mistakes a lot of amateur speakers do who try to become professional is that they offer a variety of topics to the meeting planner. And that is uh, really counterintuitive because it shows or it sends out a message that you do not have one specific area of expertise. And what these pros do is they have one message that they deliver on. That's their signature story or the signature theme. And that one thing that they focus on And once they've built that brand or once they have established their foundation in the industry, and that's when they start uh, having an array of topics that they add on. But it's always, and I know it's very counterintuitive, but that's uh, reminded me of that conversation is like you start off with that one thing. And also there was a movie, I don't know if you've seen that, it's called City Slickers, uh, where uh, it's a Billy Crystal movie. I love that uh, movie. It's about like, you know, just one thing is what you focus on. So that's a beautiful reminder. So uh, one other question, uh, Joel, in this section that I have for you is, if you could go back in time, this is like a hypothetical situation, and if you could go back in time and talk to your 20-year-old self, what advice would you give him? Do more (laughs) sit-ups. The advice I would give my younger self is to plan for a long life and not to feel that every decision needed to be the winning decision right away, but rather to take enough time to discover my passions and allow myself a lifetime to perfect them. So I would make my decisions less quickly and I would pursue them steadily. Oh, that's uh, beautifully said. Uh, I like that. 
I'm moving on to our next section of our uh, interview uh, here. Is This is a rapid-fire round, uh, Joel, and uh, this is uh, I'm going to ask you a bunch of fun questions, and it's the first response that comes to your mind. And uh, Blue. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, of course, uh, you know, if you want to elaborate on any of these questions, feel free to do so. But, again, this is the rapid-fire round. So, Joel, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So, the first question I have for you is, what was the most unusual job that you've done in your life? The most unusual job that I had was restoring Steinway pianos in a dirty garage warehouse and cleaning the finish off of an old Steinway with stain remover and a hose. <laughs> the next question I have for you is, what is one thing that you do every single day or a week or Every year, every year to maintain your sanity. Every time that I see the digital clock read 1111, which of course could happen twice a day, I take a moment to be grateful for all of the good things I have in life. And it's a moment, if I catch it on the clock, not to worry about what I don't have and not to be worried about the stresses I have but to take a few seconds to be glad for all the good things I truly experience. That is so great. Uh, the next question is, if you could be successful in another profession, which would you choose? Artist. Hmm. I have a passion for making woodblock prints. And the reason I like it matches with my philosophy of communication is that they can be simple and powerful. Hmm. That is great. I like that. The next question is, if God exists, can she be trusted? She can, but she's laughing at us now. <laughs> and if you could ask God one question, what would that be? If I could ask God what question? Um, it would be tomorrow's lottery numbers. <laughs> And then the final rapid fire round question for you is, if you could have any message of your choice on a billboard, what would that be? It would be that everyone is my teacher if they would only give me the lesson. Hmm, I like that. Yeah. And now this uh, finishes our rapid-fire round, and we are moving on to our final section. This is the wrap-up section, um, and I have a couple of questions for you in this uh, section. The first question is, what is your current uh, personal or business project that you're passionate about, that you're working on, and what are you looking forward to uh, in the next six months to a year? Well, as you mentioned, my my website and business, theadvisorvoice.com, has been very exciting opportunity because I get to meet people and learn what their ideas are. And as satisfying as it is to help people simplify and give their message effectively, it's exciting for me to meet new people and learn about all the great ideas people have. That is great. And uh, how can people, are you on any of the social media? And uh, do you have any, uh, do you do like Twitter or uh, Facebook? Or you just have the website that people can get in touch with you? I have my website, theadvisorvoice.com. And I am on LinkedIn. So if you look up Joel Marcus in Seattle, you'll find me. Okay, great. And then we'll uh, link all of that information in our show notes here. Uh, the next question I have for you is, uh, what are three things? Joel, you're grateful for in life today? I am so grateful that I've had a chance to thank my family for the childhood and, and even the recent experiences we've had together. My mom just turned 80, mm. and I'm just glad that we've been together this long. Of course, I'm glad for my daughter and my cute dog, Legumes, we all need a few dog kisses every day to keep us stable. And I think the third thing is I'm grateful for this opportunity to speak to you and to share with your listeners 
my ideas about communication and powerful, simple speech. Great. I like that, Joel. And so I would like to uh, acknowledge you for for a couple of things. One is that, uh, you know, you have an authentic way of communication that enables people to, like, really get inspired by your presence. And the other thing is that I've also noticed is that you have a genuine way of, like, delivering value to your customers, to your clients, and to your friends. And you're really looking for the simplicity and the beauty of uh, people's uh, life, their businesses, and their messages, and to really uh, make them shine even brighter uh, with your skill set. So I think uh, that's a wonderful com- contribution that you uh, make to our community, and I really appreciate uh, uh, having known you over the last uh, couple of years. And uh, and again, uh, I really, really uh, appreciate uh, you taking the time to be on this call. Uh, is there anything else that I may not have asked and you would like to share with our audience? Well, thank you for having me, and and it really is great to talk with you. I would like to share with your audience the idea that everyone has their best person inside of them, and every day is an opportunity to let that person out. I like that. And one final question, and this is how we wrap up all our interviews, and the question is, why do you think people should listen to the wisdom of friends? I believe that these podcasts help everyone to see that others have a message and that all of us face the same hopes and dreams and challenges, some bigger, some smaller, some earlier in life or unexpected. But by listening to the voices of other people, we learn about ourselves. No, that is so great, and I really appreciate those remarks. And uh, really, again, want to thank you so much for your time thank and you. candid answers. And I truly valued our time together and appreciated our conversation. And for those of us listening, with that, we'll wrap it up. And if you like what you heard, please share. Don't be shy. Thanks for listening to the Wisdom of Friends show with Cal Aras. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address, theglobalcontribution.com. To your friends and colleagues, be sure to check out our archive section on our website for previous episodes. This has been a Seven Symphonies production. Join us next time for another edition of the Wisdom of Friends.